This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Welcome back to With You in the Weeds. Uh, Lynn is with me in the studio. We are together as two hosts of the show. And we're going to do sadness today. And I have to tell you that I really like sadness. Mm. I do. I really like it. It's mm-hmm. like this really bittersweet emotion. Mm. And it served me really well. And I think it is really good that we're doing this to follow depression because they are very, very different from each other. And they need to be broken out like into their own little ponies that we ride because they go different places. And you're going to tell us more about that. Yeah. First, we're going to describe what it is, what it feels like, and why it shows up in our human experience, because this is a universal emotion. Secondly, we're going to go further into the feeling of sadness and descend into sorrow, which is even more intense. And lastly, we're going to explore the connection between sadness sorrow and regret because they often show up together and we need to have a way to understand it. And I think this is such an important episode because much of what we do in counseling is that we're helping people process sadness, sorrow, and regret. And I would say that much of our emotional suffering could be described in this swath of emotion that we're talking about today. Yeah, there's even a song about it. I'm a man of sorrow. (laughs) I've seen trouble all my days. Oh, my word. Maybe I'll just throw that in there when I'm editing. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Sadness is a very painful emotion, and many people avoid it because it hurts to feel it. It's a bittersweet emotion. So both depression and sadness are negative feelings. We don't like to feel them, but they go in very, very different directions. I would almost say that depression is a lack of feeling. Mm. sadness is more alive. Depression, think of it, and we covered this in two episodes, but just to recap, it's a dark disconnection from our emotions and our heart. And when we're in a depressive state, we're cut off from what we feel. And oftentimes we can't even identify what we feel. Uh, We're sort of like a cement block, kind of numb. Everything comes to a standstill. Um, One illustration that I can give you about this is my daughters, when they were in their teenage years, would blow dry their hair in the morning, both of them on Mm -hmm. the same electrical circuit in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't uncommon that I would hear them yell, Dad, the electricity's off. So I would have to go down into the basement and throw the switch, right, to turn the breaker back on so that they could blow dry their hair. Mm -hmm. Well, emotions don't work like that, and especially depression. So if there's something you don't want to feel, you can't just shut off one room of your heart. You have to throw the whole system off. And depression does that. Mm -hmm. 
Sadness is very different. Uh, it's an intentional engagement with things that we've lost. And it actually has a very powerful ability to bring us into healing. Mm -hmm. So allowing ourselves to feel sad actually reconnects us. Interesting. As opposed to disconnecting. So mm -hmm. you're throwing the whole circuit breaker with depression and there's no electricity in the house. With it's a sadness, shutdown. It's a shutdown. Mm -hmm. And you don't feel anything. Sadness, rather, like connects us to ourselves because we know what's going on. It connects us to other people because sadness is a universal human condition. Like everyone experiences loss. And when we can be sad about the things we've lost, guess what? We can imagine what somebody else feels when they lose something. So we gain empathy in a way that is deeper than if we never had experienced loss mm. and sadness. And really that's kind of jumping ahead, but that's an argument for how God has entered our suffering to empathize with what it's like to be us. And no other God does that. Mm -hmm. Only Jesus has entered into our suffering. And so only Jesus can truly know as a God what it's like for us to be us. It works the same way human to human. It also connects us to God. Well, I just said that. So Jesus is a man of sorrows. Uh, he has entered into every form of sadness that we will ever experience. So it's a connecty emotion. The other thing I want to throw in here before we go further is that, as we mentioned, we tend to avoid sadness. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't like to feel it. Mm -hmm. And this avoidance can actually happen automatically without us even knowing it. And, and here's what I mean. We have emotions that cover over our sadness, those deeper feelings. So like peeling back an onion, sadness can sit underneath other layers of emotions. So instead of feeling sad, which basically means you have to admit you've lost something, you're powerless to get it back, you may never get it back. No one likes to feel that. It feels so much better to be mad instead of sad because anger is an aggressive emotion that feels powerful. Um, often I will tell clients who are struggling with intense anger that if they can turn their anger into sadness and connect with what they've lost, they will be able to move toward healing. We just don't like to feel powerlessness. We don't like to feel loss. We don't like to feel our incapacities. So basically we tell ourselves, well, heck, at least I can be angry. Even if the anger doesn't solve anything, it feels like it's more powerful. Mm -hmm. Depression is similar, but instead of admitting loss and powerlessness and grieving over it, depression sort of, as we mentioned, it numbs us out to everything. Yeah. So basically, um, sadness is an emotion that we use a lot of energy to avoid feeling. But it sounds like it can actually be healing and move us forward. You know, we've talked a lot about how our emotions, um, each one of our emotions has a corresponding physiological sensation. Our bodies, um, our emotion shows up bodily. And I think that physiologically, Sadness often shows up in the chest and in the head just as a heaviness. Maybe you experience um, decreased activation in your arms or your legs or your feet, just sort of like weighed down. I think that's a good phrase for thinking of how our bodies respond to sadness. I would also say that sadness shows up in the face. 
you know, you think about the countenance of a person. And if we're really tuned in to another person's emotions, I think you can see sadness in someone's eyes. You know, when you look in their face, you look in their eyes, you can be clued in that a person is sad because I think sadness shows up in our eyes in different ways. And it's important to pay attention to our body signals so that we can understand and name what we might be feeling in ourselves or in someone else when we notice it in someone else. But I want to explore a little bit about, you mentioned that sadness is a universal human experience. And John, how would you describe for our listeners, what has set us up, each one of us, up for feeling sad? What's the context? What's the backstory with that? Okay, so uh, there's our description of sadness. Mm -hmm. So now let's go into like the root. Yes. Like where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And this is where it really helps to have an authoritative source outside of yourself to give you guidance. And we're going to go to the Bible for that. Mm -hmm. And the Bible tells us what the root of sadness is. And it kind of goes like this. God never created us to experience loss of any kind. So Adam and Eve in a garden were designed for fulfillment, adventure, more, to have an impact on their world. But this only works when you're connected to God, a source outside of you to give you a sense of self-worth, a sense of being fully loved. And what we like to say, like amongst ourselves and with our clients, is that one way to understand love is the four S's. I'm seen, and not just seen like an object, like I see a Kleenex box, but I'm seen. Somebody sees into my eyes. They see my face. They see my body posture. They see what's happening to me and they connect to it. I'm known. So seen, I'm safe. I'm not going to get hurt um, in a relationship. Like if I'm with a safe person and they see that I'm sad, they're going to handle me with tenderness and care. So I'm safe. I'm comforted. Like I'm not all alone with it. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets me and that just feels good. We hate to feel alone. And then the final one is secure. And secure means if I'm seen safe and comforted and that's happening, then I can imagine a future that's predictable where I'm going to be able to use that as a platform and venture out. So Adam and Eve had all of this, but it required them to live as humans, as contingent creatures. In other words, they had needs that God promised to meet and they were dependent upon him. The enemy comes in, deceives them and tells them, hey, you know, the one thing that you are missing is that you're not in control. God is. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you take control, you'll be like him, you know, eat from the tree. So basically what I like to say, and this is the best way I've come to understand it, Adam and Eve took their love and they cashed it in. Like they traded it in to be in control. So now they're in a situation where they're in control, but they don't have capacities like God does to control everything. Control's an illusion. And they're feeling insecure now. And now they don't have a sense of, I'm really safe. I'm really seen. I'm really secure. I'm loved. So God warned them that when this happened, this decision to move away from him, turn away and live dependent on themselves instead of him, 
would lead to death. Now, obviously, they didn't immediately die when they disobeyed. Mm -hmm. In fact, they kept living for like 800 years. What God meant was everything is now going to start falling apart and nothing is going to work the way it's supposed to. So death is a word that covers loss. Um, We lose loved ones. We lose opportunities. uh, We experience the death of our power when we lose power. uh, The death of our beauty. Our culture worships beauty. uh, The perfect image. Uh, What woman doesn't struggle with that growing up in this culture? How do I hang on to my beauty? I'm losing it all of the time, especially when I'm compared to perfect images I can never live up to. That's loss. That's a form of death. We lose dreams, things that we want to do that we can't do that are beyond our grasp. Um, Or dreams that we start to fulfill and then something happens and they're shattered. We lose respect. We lose health. We lose safety, security, comfort, significance. All of this, this is now the world that we're surrounded with and it's the world we experience inside of ourselves And here comes like the million dollar answer. And this is why I love sadness so much. The healthy way to live in a world like this is sadness. It's kind of like God tossed a first aid kit, right? Out of the garden to Adam and Eve saying, okay, here you go. This is how you're going to make it. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that in, in our reality now, we're surrounded by loss, pain, suffering, death, kind of the the deconstruction of what God had constructed to be perfect and beautiful. And the emotion of sadness is actually a healthy response to this loss. And yet the irony, as we've talked about a lot of these different emotions, they have this counterintuitive aspect to them. We, we want to avoid them. We don't want to feel them because they hurt when we feel them. But yet it's in the feeling of the feeling that we can move forward and that we can pass those emotions through our body and continue to grow and heal. Yeah. The uh, sadness helps us metabolize Mm -hmm. the emotions that we experience, the emotions that are surrounding loss. And there are tons of them. Maybe tons is a too big of a word, but there are multiple emotions connected to loss. Uh, Shame is a big one. Um, Let me throw this in the spiritual realm. I know we're going to get into part two dealing with the spiritual managing the weeds of sadness. Yeah. Yeah. How do you manage it? Sure. But one of the things that I see in the Christian community is that we do not like to experience futility, Mm -mm. powerlessness. And so there's so much effort put into the victorious Christian life, Mm -hmm. the triumphant Christian, that if you just do things the right way, you'll gain so much power And you really spiritually will just catapult and take off. And I do think that that leads to a tremendous amount of frustration with people. And a lot of pressure. And a lot of arrogance. Mm -hmm. And a lot of false hope. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you really look at what God did, like in the garden, when he said, okay, you're on your own now. You wanted control. You have it. But guess what? It's going to do nothing but fall apart. Um, that is not a victorious model. Sadness is a way to move through the reality and face the reality that, okay, I really am dependent upon God. 
I really am spiritually wounded and I'm being put back together over time. So Martin Luther made a big deal out of this. He talked about uh, a theology of the cross versus the theology of glory, which is another way of saying if you go for um, an understanding that your Christian life can be powerful, victorious, glorious, up and to the right. Mm -hmm. Luther really pushed back on this as a theologian. And he said, no, look at the cross. That's a theology of the cross. That's a theology that embraces suffering and reality and God's remedy. Sadness is the way through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that, um, and I think what we're saying is that sadness is kind of a gift from God. Like you said, the the emotional first aid kit that, yeah. he, that he threw at them when they left the garden. That's um, why I like it so much. Yeah. Yeah. So sadness is a gift from God to help us heal. Kind of like you said earlier, like that first aid kit that he threw at them as they walked out of the garden. And when we let ourselves really feel the sorrowful truth of our losses, it really involves us naming and acknowledging them, identifying them, slowing down and then feeling what it's like to lose them. Because we can talk about loss, we can talk about sadness, but to actually feel sadness in our bodies is a limbic engagement. It, it engages our bodies. And when we do that, we can transition, we can move forward. Our hearts will shift from a place of being dominated and controlled by our losses and where we can move to a place where we find more right. resolution and healing. Is that kind of what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, sadness and loss are about accepting reality, uh, mm -hmm. that many of the th dreams and wishes we have may not come true. They may never come true. Sometimes sadness will last a lifetime. Sadness is a progressive emotion. Remember that. It's like a train. You jump on it, it goes somewhere. And it goes to a place of healing losses. And we find the heart of God. Now, therapists are supposed to help you feel better. Uh, but right now, you're probably all bummed out from listening to all this stuff about sadness. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I want to do that? Honestly, you don't have a choice. Uh, you, you, We're going to get into this in a minute. But when you experience the losses of life, you either go in a direction that's hurtful or one that's healthy. And I promise you that True, honest sadness is a gift that will bring you the best kind of feel better that you can imagine. Uh, Psalm 126.6, those who go forth weeping, bearing their seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy carrying their sheaves, like carrying an abundance. In other words, in God's universe, sadness is never the end of the story. There is hope. Which is really, really hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, so. We're inviting you as the listener to accept the loss, embrace it, and learn to grieve it instead of living by protesting it or trying to overcome it or be super powerful or turn to anger or just shut down. Or avoid it, yeah. Into depression. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if this is going to be a super helpful story, but when I was younger in my 20s, I was really into bodybuilding. And it was something that was like super important to me because I grew up fat. Um, I was a chubby little kid on a farm. I'd never worked out, got into college and thought, hmm, weights look interesting. 
And I really got into it. Um, I felt so good about myself. However, uh, I wasn't very smart about the way I did it. And I ended up injuring myself severely, ruptured a disc, uh, and never could work out quite the same. And it led to years of seeing physical therapists, chiropractors, et cetera, trying to treat it conservatively. And it finally like shut down completely and I had to have surgery. Nothing conservative would work. And I, I really struggled with my body image. Mm -hmm. I lost my ability to be strong. I lost my ability to stay in shape the way I wanted to. Um, I had to carry a bucket a special like bucket tailored to ease pain in my back to every class I went to in seminary. So here wow. I was with a briefcase back in the day, briefcase, you know, right. dinosaur, a briefcase and a green bucket. And it was humiliating. Mm. It was very, very painful and very shaming. Um, and then once I had surgery, it was a failed surgery and I lived in chronic pain. In fact, I was diagnosed as a chronic pain victim. And so they started talking to me about all the different ways I could manage it. Hypnosis, uh, medication, or another surgery. But they told me there's no guarantee that the other surgery would work. So you're probably better off just learning to manage your pain. Mm. Yeah. So at 29, having had the surgery, psychologically, I'm single. And I started asking myself the question, who would ever want to marry a cripple? Um, I mean, even to the point of like, uh, should I have children? Should I get married? I mean, I, I just couldn't move freely. Mm -hmm. I finally accepted my condition. I went through major depression mm. and a feeling of God must not love me. There must be something wrong with me. And this came over a period of years of struggling with this. And I finally got to the point of accepting this may just be my condition. It may never go away. And I remember asking the elders in my church to pray for me. I went to them and I said, I, I want to do anything to be healed. Um, would you anoint my head with oil and pray for me that I would be healed? What's interesting about that is I was not immediately physically healed but there was a shift in my attitude. Mm -hmm. I came away from that experience thinking, okay, I don't want this. It makes me very sad. And I am losing something I may never get back. But God will do something with this. It was a point of humility. Mm -hmm. And I had to move into sadness. I eventually began to heal uh, over time. I'm still limited in what I can do. But it was a real turning point in my attitude after about three or four years of really struggling with depression mm -hmm. and feeling like I was benched. God must not love me. And there was anger mixed into that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. I, I think a lot of us can relate uh, to having things in our lives that we were not expecting would happen. And we've really gotten stuck in places of anger and depression. And so it's great to hear how you were able to move into that sadness, but it, it took a while, obviously. So I want us to move further down that scale of intensity because, you know, we can have feelings of sadness that range from, you know, I'm sad that I ruined my favorite jeans in the wash or my team didn't win the Super Bowl or, 
you know, maybe I'm sad that my dog died or my friend moved away, but we can move into really deep places of sorrow. Like, you know, I'm devastated that I've lost my spouse to cancer. I mean, we all around us, there is intense sorrow, loss, suffering, and it's characterized by agony and anguish, right? And so there's not just these little small experiences of loss that we may encounter on a daily basis that we can kind of just easily, you know, process and metabolize through, but there are times when we are impacted by losses that are so deep, they're so gut-wrenching, they're so horrific that we don't even have the words to explain and describe what we've been through. And trauma is a word that we're hearing a lot about these days. It's, it's thrown a lot about in our culture. But this is actually a robust biblical category that is referred to as suffering, right? Hmm. Um, and it's given serious attention in scripture because a person who is in deep suffering, that agony, that anguish that I was talking about, or just deep mourning or lament, this is a person that is described as being close to God's heart. And we're told that God is particularly in tune with the heart of someone who is suffering. Um, Psalm 34, 18, which is a favorite verse of mine, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so I think in some sense, like you're talking about, John, if we are truly in touch with reality, And if we've come to realize that we live in some sense in the valley of the shadow of death, I mean, you've just told one story of, you know, probably hundreds of story in your life of different things that you've lost, that you've had to grieve and mourn and and feel sad about. Well, let me jump in and say one thing about that. Uh, A friend of ours recently told us that she believes that phrase in the valley of the shadow of death is a metaphor for life. Yeah, right. And, And that we can't escape it, right? We cannot escape loss or heartache. And there are some forms of suffering that don't get resolved in this lifetime. And I want to just slow down here and recognize that some of our listeners are in this place of deep sorrow. And it it is so hard. It is so intense. And that's what makes this so difficult to enter into sadness because you might be entering into it and that sadness may never really fully go away. Uh, some forms of loss, like maybe the loss of a child, that brings pain that never fully goes away. And that loss is going to change things forever. And so everyone's story to one extent or another is going to contain heartache or loss. And as we give ourselves permission to feel sad about those losses, it may feel hellish. I mean, it, it may feel like, deep emotional torment. Well, and you mentioned that sometimes you can't find words. Mm -hmm. And I love to go to Romans 8, where Paul says we groan within Mm. ourselves and we don't know how to pray. And sometimes we just groan. Yeah. I mean, it's like a guttural, deep, deep sorrow. And we do know, as you mentioned earlier, when we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, we see that God wipes away our tears. But those are tears that we bring into heaven from our earthly suffering that is prolonged. So we get this sense that 
God knows our tears. He sees our sadness. He feels our pain. But emotionally, this is a descent into feelings of death that is very dysregulating. It's very agonizing. You know, we talk about how the limbic system uh, regulates our emotional state. And I would say that sadness, maybe more than any other emotion, it's it's like a descent. It's it's like a deep um, allowing a, a feeling of pain in our bodies that it, we would so much rather not feel. We would so much rather want to skip a rock across the pond and not go there and not name our sadness and not enter into what it feels like because it can emotionally tear us apart. Yeah. It's scary. It's so scary. And you mentioned skipping a rock across a pond. If Jesus is the model for the Christian life, he's in Gethsemane saying, man, if there's any way I can get out of this, Father. And then he goes to the cross. But he doesn't just skip to the resurrection. He goes into the he grave. He descends into he death. He descends. Yes, yeah. Like it, nothing's happening there. Mm-hmm. And everyone thinks it's over. The other thing that I love when I think about Jesus is a description of him from Isaiah, which says he is a man of sorrows. So here's Jesus, completely perfect, sinless, and yet he was a man of sorrows. And I think that's because he did life the right way. Hmm. He saw reality. He embraced it. He depended upon his father and he grieved. Yeah. And so I think... There's actually something about sadness and sorrow that connects us to Christ in this deeply profound way as we enter into his sufferings. And, and Christians above all should be aware of these realities. If you, if you read the Bible, um, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat how hard life is. But what I also like, Don, you mentioned Isaiah 53, is it goes on to say, surely our griefs he himself bore in our sorrows he carried. And that means he was sorrowful because he was entering into our sadness and brokenness and pain. And even though no one else in human history has had to drink the cup that Jesus drank when he bore the sins of the world in his body on the cross, we get a taste, we, we enter in, we fellowship with him in a way, when we as believers suffer loss, we're actually gaining the, an experiential knowledge of Christ's sorrow. And I would say that in some parallel sense, we're learning something about Jesus that we didn't know before. And maybe that's what Paul was getting at in Philippians 4.10 when he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So if we think of the goal of the Christian life, is to know Jesus, we really can't know him apart from knowing suffering, right? Mm. You said he's a man of sorrow. So in a very deeply spiritual way, our suffering unites us to Jesus and it's an invitation to relate to and to, to him differently and to receive from him in a different way. Well, to flip this around and make it clear, most of the time we think, oh, Jesus suffered. He can relate to me which is really self-centered. It's not bad, but it's egocentric. What if it's also, oh, this must be what it was like Mm -hmm. for Jesus to be Jesus. Now I know him in a different way. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's really profound to think about more deeply. 
I want to move us into the third and last part of this discussion on sadness and talk about regret. Because I would say that regret usually emerges when we're suffering and we're looking backwards, which we often do. I mean, when I picture clients who come in and and they share their story, I mean, how many of them have sorrow that's tinged with regret? You know, the things that they have been Mm -hmm. through and they think to themselves, you know, if only I hadn't ignored my daughter's symptoms, if only I had seen the doctor sooner, if only I hadn't listened to that bad advice, if only I had left the house 10 minutes sooner, or if only I had seen the warning signs that my child was depressed. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? I mean, regret is connected to our sadness and to our pain. Very much so. Yeah, with my back surgery story, I had a lot of feelings of regret. If only I hadn't lifted those yes. weights in such you a stupid way. Play that in your mind over and over again. And and so a lot of times we experience losses that are completely outside of our control, right? They just happen to us. But sometimes we experience loss and sorrow as a result of choices that we've made. And now our mind has the benefit of hindsight, right? Where we're looking back. And we're, yes, we're replaying those stories in our minds. And now we're feeling contempt for ourselves. We're blaming ourselves. We're mad at ourselves. And now our grief, our sadness, our sorrow is complicated by the fact that we have these thoughts and feelings of regret. And that can really keep us stuck. Yeah, I see regret as we discuss this topic. I see regret as kind of an intersection when it shows up. Uh, it can be either constructive or destructive. You can see it as a turning point that calls for reflection. What happened there? Mm -hmm. Uh, Change? What would I do differently if I could go back in time? It's a great question to ask Um, yourself. Or growth. God allowed this. He is sovereign. How am I going to grow now? Or you you can stay stuck in that place and feel like a victim, like bound to the past, Uh, you're going to try to maybe be your own redeemer, your own hero, and hope for a better past. Which, by the way, one comedian (laughs) has a definition of forgiveness that I think is interesting. It's giving up hope for a better past. There's a part of that that's (laughs) true, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's impossible. The past is in the past. You have to deal with it in the present. Um, But if you don't see regret, as an opportunity to reflect, change, and grow, um, and you just stay stuck as a victim, and you're shaming yourself, you're angry at yourself, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, uh, it keeps you from entering sadness and grieving. It looks super spiritual sometimes, but it's very egocentric and self-centered, which is the opposite of what God designed us for. So regret's an opportunity to say, hmm, I really need to deeply depend upon God here. Mm -hmm. You know, he is the only one who's omniscient, omnipresent, all loving, all knowing, all powerful. It sounds like you really have to go to a place of humility. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You you have to accept that you're not God. Mm -hmm. You're not in control of everything, that you have a belly button. You're limited. um, And that's accepting loss. You have to embrace that you're little and finite. Um, We're going to address this further in part two. 
And ultimately, this journey of sadness, sorrow, and regret, if you follow it all the way, its natural conclusion, as you said, is to take you to a place of humility. That's the train that mm-hmm. like moves us to a different station. Um, the Bible tells us that God resists our pride. He gives grace oh, to the humble. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And sadness is an opportunity to do that. You know, it is an embrace of reality. It is a return to dependence upon God. And I would say in some sense, if, if we wanted to define sadness in a nutshell, we could say it's the death of having control over what has happened that cannot be undone. Hmm. Let me just sit with that for a second. The death of having control over what has happened that cannot be undone. And, and moving forward is going to involve grieving. And that's what we're going to talk about in part two. And that is the way that we process loss and sorrow. And that does move us to that place of hope and comfort. And so part two, um, we're going to talk about grief as God's prescribed way to deal with this suffering that we encounter in this world and how to engage our regrets in a way that is going to be constructive instead of destructive. So I really hope you stick with us for part two as we talk about grief. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at withyouintheweeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.